0: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. All right time for yet another episode of Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host, and this week I want to introduce you to a singer and kind of delve into what that world is like. Linda Etter has starred on Broadway, and we're going to talk a lot about that. She's recorded 18 albums, has done concerts all over the world, including four at Carnegie Hall, and she was the winner of Star Search, which was the American idol of its day, Since she's a singer, let's hear her sing a little bit.
1: What kind of fool am I Who never fell in love It seems that I'm the only one That I've been thinking of What kind of man is this An empty shell An empty cell in which a lonely heart must dwell
0: yeah i forgot to mention she's not just a singer she's an amazing singer wow anyway linda edder is my guest this week on hollywood and levine so first of all linda when did you realize that you had this gift this voice
1: (laughs) um you know i didn't think of it in terms of singing so much when i was really little i think it Obviously, I'm I'm a musician at my core, you know, and my voice basically was my instrument. But I thought of it more like a toy that was just fun. And I I kind of knew early on that my voice was capable of things that my, say, my sisters wasn't or my brother. My brother, though, he could sing really well as a child. He was a beautiful child soprano, that I never heard him sing again after that. But uh, it just, I realized, you know, I could mimic things. I could make sounds. I had power. And then, of course, I loved music, so... You know, I started singing opera following Eileen Farrell when I was 10 years old, literally.
0: Wow. Did you have any formal training?
1: No, I had, uh, I sang on my own. And then I had a good choir teacher in high school who was the one who got me to do the solos and really gave me the confidence because I was so shy. I never sang in front of anyone except for my little brother. Never, ever in front of anyone and was literally so shy. And it stayed with me for years, even into my, my, still with me in a way. Um, so they never heard me. Um, it wasn't until I'd been singing professionally for about, I don't know, maybe six, seven years that I decided, well, maybe I should take voices. And so I I took from a really nice man for a, a short period of time. I, I wouldn't say that that's really what created my voice. I, I mean, I had fun. I went for maybe a couple months and really liked him. And then, then I stopped. And then I, years later, then I moved to New York. And thought, okay, and I'm in Manhattan. I should really take voice lessons now. So but I literally only took a few from this one lady and I just didn't feel like that she was helping me at all. I didn't I didn't trust what she was telling me. And I'm sure I could have found a great teacher if I'd have kept looking. You know it's the thing, they're not all they're not all great. Yeah,
0: <laughs> my that's rule of true. Thumb well is, at least you recognized it.
1: Yeah, well my rule of thumb, and I'm teaching now. I've been teaching for years, but my rule of thumb is if they're not someone who's actually done it <laughs> and had success in it. Maybe not take their advice too, you know too seriously, you know, like if they can't get themselves to the point where they're singing in a way that is something that the public is listening to, then maybe you shouldn't take for them, you know
0: because it's not just the instrument, it's also a lot of the technique, and also well, interpretation, yeah. isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, it's
1: all of that, it's all of that, and obviously, we all know life is not fair, life is not we're not all given equal gifts um obviously I was given uh muscle ability and the fine motor skill to you know it's that's kind of what goes along with how do you sing a pitch you know we've had our entire lives to hear the pitch and then know where to put our muscle we've been experimenting with that since the time we start making sound so we just know automatically okay that's where I move my muscles to get that pitch and singing is the same way that's where I move my muscle and some people have more ability to, to move certain muscles than others. Just like, you know, I have a very rubbery face. I can move my face around. So it has a lot to do with fine motor skills. But then obviously then you have to hone it and, and build up the muscle strength. And then as far as, but then you're right, because then there's just people who sing their lessons or sing their technique, but they have no musicality at all. And, and mm-hmm. that's, you know, what's the point of that? So, yes, it's, it's all of those things combined.
0: Who are your influences growing up?
1: Well, literally, uh, Judy Garland made me want to sing. That's the story I always tell, which is so true, and it's vivid in my mind to this day. Really being aware of the movie The Wizard of Oz for the very first time, and I was sitting on the floor next to my dad. He was in his easy chair. We were all watching The Wizard of Oz, and my dad, I don't know what made him do it. Maybe I'd already been sort of singing when I was that age. I was literally um, like eight, and I'm sure they maybe heard little bits and snippets and saw that I – maybe had a voice, I don't know what it was, but, or something he sensed in me watching her sing somewhere Over the Rainbow, but he, he just looked down at me and said, are you going to sing like that one day? And it was a very profound moment in my life, because I said, I'm going to sing, but not like that. That was my exact answer. Hmm. Um, because I, for some reason, as a child, I loved classical music. So when I was 10, I was given an LP of a, An opera singer named Eileen Farrell, which I then took home and played in a big wooden, you know, the old-fashioned record player type, played that every day and sang along with that in the barn practicing to the sheep and the, you know, the the steers and the chickens where no one could hear me. And that's how I built my voice, which was very, very good for me because it taught me that whole classical style of singing, which most kids learn in reverse. If they're going to, they start out listening to pop and then they want to build their voice so then they might incorporate classical style singing I did it all in reverse because then I heard Barbara Streisand when as a young teenager and went oh well that's a beautiful voice but not doing opera so I could go that way you know
0: do you (laughs) still want to sing opera or do you sing opera sometimes
1: when I I like I really love opera arias Not, I'm not going to tell you I've been to a million operas I've only been to a couple of my life and I but I I love that sound but I'm very 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 (laughs) critical of what opera singers I like like I love Luciana Pavarotti you know, and I like uh, Frederica von Stott. I like specific voices, especially in the women, because I don't like that, oh, 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 oh kind of style. I, I like a kind of very uh, more pointed, pure kind of tone, which is why I loved Eileen Farrell. And Eileen Farrell sang blues, and and she was a musician, and, and she had a beautiful tone that was really recognizable to me. So I'm very critical of it, but I love it. I still love it.
0: I remember there was a Grammy performance and whoever was supposed to sing opera got sick at the last moment and aretha franklin said i'll do it dorma (laughs) yeah and stepped in and did it yeah (laughs) like wow yeah take some chops
1: yeah and and very few pop singers which you know is what she technically was could take that song and really make it into something that you know everyone a a vast majority of people who like that sound music would not criticize but and sure some would because they're total opera purists but in general you know she could make it into something that was so uniquely wonderful and and still put all of the meaning and oomph of that song that doesn't matter what opera singer sang it still had that and yet it was still Aretha it was yeah it was quite something
0: so in the uh, 80s, I guess, you were the winner of Star Search, which was their version of American Idol. Would you win like 10 weeks in a row? Uh,
1: 11, I think, and then the finals. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Or yeah, 11 with the finals. Yeah. Yeah. And that it used to go all through. And then the fifth year, which is when I was on the show, they, they div- I think that was the year or maybe, I don't know if it was that year or the one before, but they divided it in half or maybe they did it soon on. Because remember when Sam Harris went through all the way and then it was was hard for them to get him a, an opponent. So then mm-hmm. they thought, okay, we better split this up in half so that that can't happen again. So I did round, I did the first half, round one, around that half of the season. And then I competed against the winner of the second half of the season.
0: So, being the winner of Star Search, what did that that get you?
1: A lot of well, there's nothing like television exposure. You can have the biggest hit on Broadway and never hit the number of people that you can hit in one night. Of,
0: right? You know, did you get medical. a ton of offers and records? And I mean, was it like being an American Idol?
1: No, it wasn't. It, well, it's not. It was very different. Um, it was obviously the only talent show. That, going on at that time, so it was a thing that people watched, but you didn't automatically get a record deal necessarily, like uh, they do with Amer- did with American Idol at the end, they kind of produced the record and all that right. they, it was their engine, you know, their baby, and they were involved in it in every particular way, but uh, it gave me a, a national kind of following, which really helped, and then I, in the process of doing the show, I hadn't met, I hadn't done the finals yet, um, there was a, a talent booker on the show, who was a friend of Frank's and heard me week after week. And so he contacted Frank and said, listen, there's a girl on here. She's winning a lot. I think you're going to like her voice because he knew Frank was into going into theater and really in the, at the time was just beginning to try to get Jekyll and Hyde to Broadway. So that's how I met Frank.
0: And Frank and is who?
1: Frank Wildhorn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then it was through him. And then also uh, just the connections we made that I got the first record deal. Um, out of England with BMG out of England I actually got my deal in England and then they li- licensed it over here.
0: We'll get back to Linda Eder in a moment, but first a word about honey, my newest sponsor and you're going, okay, another sponsor. What is it? How much is this going to cost me? Here's the great thing about this sponsor. It's costs you nothing. Honey is free. Uh Uh-huh, now I have your attention. So what is Honey? Well, it is a free shopping tool that scours the Internet for promo codes and applies the best ones it finds to your cart. All right, how does it work? Okay, well, you're shopping online, on one of your favorite sites, and when you check out, the honey button drops down, and all you have to do is click Apply Coupons. Wait a couple of seconds, it does its thing, it scours the internet, and if it finds active coupons, then it just reduces your cost, and you see the price go down and down and down. It's fantastic, and again, It's free. It does not cost you anything to sign up for this. So if you don't already have Honey, well, you straight up could be missing out on free savings. Like I said, it's literally free, and it installs in just a few seconds. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid, and you'll be supporting this humble podcast. Now, look, I would never recommend something that I don't use. Notice these headphones I'm wearing these very spiffy headphones well I saved $17 on them as a result of shopping through Honey and again it's free I know I keep repeating it but it's important it's free and here's all you got to do to join Honey you just go to honey.com/levine once again to join that is honey.com/levine let me just say it one more time free Okay, I'm trying to get that message out to free, and that is honey.com slash Levine. So Broadway musicals, people don't realize how long it takes for them to actually reach Broadway. All of the development and all of the tryouts and workshops and that type of thing. You got into Jekyll and Hyde, which became a big hit on Broadway, but it didn't hit the Great White Way until 1997, and you first went into it in 1990. You performed it in Houston and Seattle and Baltimore, and you're probably sick of it by the time it got to Broadway.
1: (laughs) Well, I wasn't, uh, no, I wasn't sick of it, but it was an amazing journey. And, you know, it's funny because you talk about star search but in a way star search really helped that national audience that i had developed helped because i was the only name that had any recognition at all except for shackle and Hyde, as far as being associated with the show and we did you know besides the 1990 production which really should have been the version that went to broadway because i think it had the correct director then the correct intent never was meant to take itself so seriously um it just didn't work out that way. All the producers, all the producers start fighting with each other, and all, it just becomes a nightmare. And then time goes by, but then they, and then we did this workshop production that was horrible with a totally different director. I won't mention names, cause I, but it was just wrong. And we, we um, and then we did a year-long tour with the original director again, uh, a pre-Broadway tour, which was really fun. And then they went and made the decision again not to use him and to go with the Broadway director, which made no sense to me but at least the show was strong enough that we were able to run the length of time that we did and I and I believe we would have run longer if they uh had just been wiser with who they cast they were they were initially because everyone they brought in had a following but the final person they brought in didn't have a following that translated to Broadway it did in television but not for theater and so that was frustrating but because it was such a battle and it was such a battle to the point that I would say to Frank and it was years are and by, why don't we just move on to the next one? Because he always was writing and we had these other shows coming up behind it. I said, just move on to the next one and then do that one later. But he stuck with it and stuck with it. And I was so relieved and overwhelmed on opening night that when it was curtain call, I come out to do my bow and I started crying. <laughs> like, I didn't <laughs> even know I was going to. I was just like, oh, I can't believe we actually finally made it.
0: Eight shows a week has to be grueling.
1: It is when you're a lead and you're like me, you're a belter where you're not mixing. You're not a lot of the majority of women on Broadway mix where they'll go up to a certain note and belt and then they'll mix it into the head voice. I don't do that. I take my belt all the way up like men do. And but that's partly what has given me the success that I have, because it's like a fifth gear and you can feel when take it, Someone is feel and hear when someone is taking their full voice up in the range. It takes a lot of strength. It's hard on, you know, the more difficult on the voice. Um, but that's what gives you the kind of the goosebump factor, you know. It's, mm-hmm. It pays off in the end. But yes, for me, it was a challenge to do that eight times a week for that that long of a time. Definitely.
0: What happens if you get a cold?
1: You, it's horrible, and invariably you do. And it usually happens in previews because everybody's working so hard. You're rehearsing all day long and doing shows, preview shows at night, and someone will get sick, and then it will go through the entire company and that's what happened to me. Everyone was getting sick and then I got sick right in previews and I they made me go on the director. I was literally delirious and should have been at home in bed and he talked to me into going on. So I went on and I sang the incidental bits and spoke the lines and then my understudy sang my songs off stage. It was a horrendous experience for me. <laughs> so <laughs> you, know? you
0: were lip syncing?
1: Yes, yeah, so it was just horrible. Um, I was flushed. I had a horrible fever. I, I had, and I, I had a chest cold. And when I get a chest cold, I, ha- I can't belt. So of course I went home, and then I was recuperating. But and you always have to come back sooner than you want to because you're the lead, and especially if you're the name people know, you know, in the beginning of a show, they're really relying on you. They they need you there. And you've, I felt such an obligation. So invariably you come back too soon and then you struggle through until slowly you sort of get. But all those things, they sort of wear on your voice. They wear you down over time.
0: So you've also done 18 solo albums and you've gone on concert tours, which is how most people know you. Um, first time I saw you, um, I had heard about you from a voice teacher. And I saw that you were playing in a holiday show down in Costa Mesa. So it was like a three-hour drive in traffic. So you you damn well better be good. (laughs) This is a (laughs) three-hour drive. And the first half of the show was like college choruses doing holiday numbers. And then you were going to come on after the intermission. And I remember standing in the lobby during the intermission, and most of the people who were there were relatives of the kids who sang in the first act. And they were going, who is this person? Who is this Linda Edder? Who is she? You know, <laughs> should we stay for this? Like, yeah, what the hell, you know. So you came on and you sang your first song. And it's like the entire audience was gobsmacked. And every song you sang after, you got a standing ovation. <laughs> And this was from an audience that had no idea who you were. And when I go to your shows, and I've been to quite a few of them, I would say a good portion of the audience are repeat fans who have seen you before.
1: Yeah, that's one of the benefits of having done this now for as many years as I have, is that when I first started, it's they don't know you, so you have to walk out there and try to get them. Now I walk out and I have to try to keep them. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: It also means you have to really mix up your concerts.
1: Well, that's the funny part because some people want the same songs all the time. They want the so-called hits, and, and, but others want other materials. So it's really a challenge. It's always really a challenge putting the show together. That's, honestly, that's the hardest thing that i do is when i sit down and put a set together because of knowing that and but i've reached a point where i'm kind of like i don't care anymore i just want to do what i want (laughs) but i'm still i say that but then i'm still cognizant of the fact that i i have to put certain songs in because it's just what i'm known for i have to put the viennas and la mancha's and the someone like you and you know um i have my my so-called signature songs now so but but i am able to play around because when people ask me what's your favorite song it's always the newest one i've learned
0: Well, one thing that you do that I appreciate is when you sing your signature songs, you don't goof around with them. You know, you you sing them, and and I'm sure for you, it's like, oh, God, here we go. (laughs) Man, La Mancha, for the nine millionth time. But, um, you know, you, you hear like, you know, God, Sinatra, you know, you go to a Sinatra concert in his last ten years and you almost didn't recognize the songs. <laughs>
1: well, there's a there's a reason for that. There it's two there are two reasons. One is there are people who can't stand to do the same thing twice musically, so they have to do that. There are others who as they get older or whatever for vocal reasons need to start changing the way they sing it because the original versions are too hard. Right. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah, but you didn't add Jilly and finger poppin' and <laughs> No, And that, no, that no, kind of stuff. There was no, no. ring-a-ding stuff in, uh, in Man of La Mancha. I'll be no. seeing you didn't no. have any <laughs> ring-a-ding stuff.
1: No, and because the reason is I really like those arrangements, and uh, I really enjoy seeing them. Yes. Do I ever you sing someone like you at Soundcheck? No. <laughs> the band will often need to go through it, but I just say, you just guys just do it because I can't. But the minute I'm on stage and the audience is there and that song starts, it will bring me in because it is just a good of a song. I mean, I'm in it every time I'm doing it. Uh, I do have that thought beforehand, but not once the song starts.
0: That's a whole other discipline too. doing a concert. It's one thing if you're in a Broadway show and you're one of an ensemble when you're doing a concert, it's just you singing for what? 90 minutes, close to two hours.
1: Yeah, yeah. That that's the that's the thing. Sometimes where I envy the musicians because they can look at their phones on stage if they need <laughs> once
0: in a while. You can't kind of, check your email.
1: No, and I know my during bass player. Vienna. Yeah, yeah. I know my bass player has his phone where he can see it, but uh, I have my. The pressure is on me because I look at because everyone's looking at me. Yeah, they're going to look around, but it's on me to make sure I haven't let the air out of the balloon. That's kind of how I feel about performing. I feel the, I feel the room. I feel the right amount of air pressure (laughs) or excitement level, whatever interest level, whatever you want to call it. To me, I would describe it as the balloon. And I know when I've let some air out of the balloon and I need to get back there. You know, I need, I've, I've performed on my whole, my entire adult life. So I have a real good sense on reading that energy. Because it really is a give and take. I put something out and they feed it back to me. It's this rolling thing that we're continuing to give each other. And it's so obvious to me if that happens where I, I'm losing in their interest a bit.
0: You mentioned earlier how you're a little shy. How did you get over that? Because you seem very comfortable on stage, you're funny, you have banter. Uh, like I said, I've seen you a number of times, so it's not the same eight jokes. Uh, You seem very comfortable on stage. That take a long time to develop.
1: Well, that's what's so weird. It's like uh, I still to this day, if you were at my house, I couldn't just sing in front of you sitting in the house. I would be really uncomfortable. But if I'm on a stage in front of the real audience, something clicks in. Uh, If I'm in a recording studio, that's comfortable there. But I'm not comfortable singing anywhere else, because I don't. I don't. The stage magic needs to happen in order for me to override in order the the nervousness and the, what it it literally clicks into this gear that that happens. I know I was meant to be an entertainer because something comes alive, some energy comes alive, and then I become. Even though I'm I'm not, I don't change who I am. I think that's one thing that people like. I'm very much me out there, just a bigger version of me that's you know a little bit larger than what I am necessarily in in real life or that just takes away those nerves I, I really don't know what it is I'm, I'm great I'm just grateful for it because I remember trying to be a performer standing backstage about to go out just thinking why am I doing this to myself why am I torturing myself I'm scared to death and, I, and I've not blown many situations in my life leading up to things that I, maybe I could have gotten a little farther a little faster if I had done better in that moment but my nerves you know wouldn't allow me my voice would be my vibrato would be too fast or I wouldn't hit the notes the way I knew that I could hit them when I wasn't nervous you know it did take a while but again having that audience start to build up when you because you, I can feel that energy when I haven't got on yet I know when I have an audience that's my audience out there because it's already the energy is already coming off onto the stages and wafting out into the wings where I'm waiting. I can feel that.
0: Yeah. That must Um, feel great.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it does. And it's what helps you. It's what gives you that, that strength. You know,
0: on the other hand, you never really went the Celine Dion, Michael Buble route of touring for nine months at a time or doing 37 weeks in Vegas You've really tried to balance your singing career with a life.
1: Well, yeah, because, you know, I, I say this all the time and it's really true. I'm the least entertainer, entertainer you're ever going to meet as far as who I am as a person. I don't I have too many interests of too many things that I want to be doing. And I'm very artistic. I love to build things, create things. I love to be at my little farm. I have so many things to do here that I want to do that I will, I would need 20 lifetimes to do them all. And I feel like I'm running from one thing to the other. And some days I get up, I got 10 things I want to do and I can't do anything because I can't make up my mind which one to do. I'm never bored when I'm home. I've always got a million things that I want to do. And I've been that way my whole life. And yeah, when I was younger, of course I really wanted to sing. So there was a lot more energy and focus was put on to the, the music, but once it was established, it allowed me then to, explore all my other interests and i just so remember the day i left jacqueline hyde there were the entire 46th street was full of the fans and like the whole theater emptied out and then all the people who had wanted to come and see me on my last year who weren't able to get into the show were in the street and normally you know every night after the show i would stay out till the last person was there i would talk till they were done and i would give them all a lot of time and then i'd go home every till the last person well there was no way of course that we could do that and so we initially set it up that we were we were going to fly down to houston we had to get to a plane so there was a car waiting and i had a group of people around helping me get through the crowd to get to the car and i thought in that moment wow this is what it would feel like if you're really on that upper level of real Huge celebrity. And mm-hmm. I knew in that moment, it was a real revelation. I can handle that. I don't want that life. Because I, I just knew I couldn't live that way. You really give up something and I have what I consider the perfect life because I've accomplished things I never thought I could accomplish, wanted to, but, you know, never would. I didn't, you know, Carnegie Hall was always my dream. I sold there four times, you know, that for a kid from Minnesota, that I don't need much more than that, you know, and I've, I have i have had a record career, and I've, so I feel like I've, I was successful in my music career, and that, I feel like I've done it, and yet I have the ability. I don't know who recognizes me, sometimes, but I, so I can walk around and live a completely normal life. Yes, I will sometimes, it'll happen, I'll, walk up and someone will say, oh, or I'll just give my credit card and that they weren't looking up and they'll read my name and know it's me. But I can live a totally normal life. And that is really great.
0: <laughs> a few weeks ago, I had on um, uh, some jingles that Elton John, when he was starting out, he sang radio jingles. Do you ever sing commercials?
1: I did a couple. I know I did Folgers, the best part of waking up. I did one of those ones. I've done a couple of things, but not a lot. I'm really not a good jingle person because I can't read sheet music. I can't look at sheet music and just sing it. And I, I get, you know, back then when I was being approached to do those things, I, would, I was still nervous and, and didn't feel... It came from a lack of confidence in myself, like thinking I'm just this is all smoke and mirrors. I'm not as good as you think I am, you know. So, so it would make me nervous and not comfortable. And and that's a that is an art in and of itself to be a really good jingle singer.
0: Okay, and uh, now you're teaching. You're teaching yeah. a master class.
1: I'm doing. Boy, master those lucky students. <laughs> <laughs> well, I started with a master class, which I do them now, and then, then it led into doing um, one-on-one private lessons. And I I, I was asked so many years to do lessons and to do masterclasses, and I would always turn it down because, again, I thought, <laughs> I'm self-taught. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to teach somebody. They're just going to find out I'm just a phony. So I would always turn it down, and then one day I finally agreed, but I was scared to death for the masterclass. And I got there, and literally, I'm just, here are these young kids, they're all nervous, but they have no idea that I am just so nervous I can hardly crawl out, could probably crawl out of my skin because I just don't know why the heck did I agree to do this. I don't know what I'm doing. But the minute the first kid got up and sang, it was, you know, 18-year-old, 19 year olds I, felt, I just calmed down completely because I felt I knew immediately what I needed to tell them. And then, you know, you'd work about 15 minutes with each kid. Then the, that one sat down, and then I got all nervous again. But the minute the second one got up, and it was all different things I was going to tell that person, but immediately I felt like I knew, and the master class went great. Uh, and I loved it, and so I, I, then I started to agree to do more, and it was the same thing for the next one and the same thing. And so then I started to do private lessons, and what I discovered is I am a damn good teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and what's so weird about that is that I have no patience if I'm going to try to teach somebody about something else, like how to ride a horse or do this or that, or show them how to do something, I feel like I have no patience. I feel like I'm terrible. But I have all the patience in the world when it comes to teaching. And I think the reason I'm successful is that because I'm self-taught, I had to develop all my own techniques of how to get it across to somebody. Teaching voice is very difficult. It's not like dancing where you say, okay, and here's your arm, now move your arm over here. You can't reach in there and grab a little muscle. or So you have to figure out a way. To get them to do a certain thing deep inside, that is so subtle, it you know, in some ways, some of it isn't, some is easier. But so I came up with ideas that are very organic, based on things we all do in real life, and it, and I love it. I love the light bulb moment that goes off. I love hearing the improvement. I, I love the feedback I get. So it's become a real important part of my life, and especially now during lockdown. You know, it's what I do every night during the week as I teach, and I, and I love that I could do it over. Like we're doing it over Zoom or over Skype, I prefer that. Obviously, I don't want to bring people to my home because I've had some weird people in my you know, <laughs> my life, and I don't want to do that. And I don't have a studio, and I've did that where I'll go to Manhattan, but it's such a pain to drive there and rent a studio and all that. Don't need to do it. It works really well over Skype because I, I have an ability even over computer speakers, and I have a good setup here. I can I know immediately what's going on in there just by the tone and the look and what's happening in the face. And cause I've been doing it now for about, I think nine years I've been teaching now, you know, and I get better and better and I develop more and more techniques, but, and I feel good about that. You know, I feel I'm giving back and I'm kind of feel like I'm doing, I'm meant to be doing this.
0: You have a new album out. Tell yeah. me about that.
1: Uh, well, um, in 2015, well, to begin with, I started doing my own CDs on my own label. People had been doing that, and I kept getting these record deals, and I, I couldn't understand why because I'm not a huge, you know, record salesperson. I'm not on the radio. It's not like in that sense. I'm not like a pop star that's on the radio, and I I kept thinking, why are they, why are they signing me now, you know, but but then I get another deal and then another deal, but I wasn't – at that point, they weren't paying me a lot because nobody was, you know, that when the record companies all – imploded and it all changed up. All, you know, we used to make a lot of money for making a record and then it went to practically nothing. So I kept making the record and I kept getting a deal. And then I was hearing about other people that were doing it on their own and I kind of wanted to try it, but I was afraid. And then I got another record deal, but you know, and I thought, ah so then I said, no, I'm gonna try it. And I so I thought the first one I'm gonna do is going to be a Christmas CD because that's the safest route to go. That's why everybody at some point in their career, usually when they're on the downside of their career, they'll make a Christmas CD. Um, so I did that. and But, I, you know, it costs a lot of money to make a record because huh? I use a real band and the studios and all that. So I did spend a good deal of money. And when it was going to go on sale the night before, I was scared. I was like, what have I done? What if nobody buys it? You know, I spent all this money. But it went really, really well. I, and it was all under my control. I did the CD cover. I did everything. I, you know, um, and I found that I love that. It brought back all of my joy of making a CD in the first place is that I could control all of it. Because I found out late in life that I'm a control freak. I didn't even know that. I thought that was like a bad thing, meant you're a bad person, you know. But it just means you really like to be in control of stuff. Because I read all I happened to be on an airplane when I found that out. I was reading a book on it and there was a list of like ten or fifteen traits of a of a control freak. And one of them was Fear of Flying, which I have, and I'm on a plane while I'm reading it. And then I see all these things, and I looked up and went, oh, my God, I'm a control freak, and I didn't even know it. But it's kind of liberating to know that. And so I really enjoyed making the record, and it was successful, and that allowed me, I made the next one, and now I've done five. And so in 2015, one of them that I did was, a CD called Retro Volume 1, and I called it Volume 1 because it's all these tracks that had been recorded over the years for projects that never happened, like a musical Frank was writing that we did this great record of and then it never happened or uh, was written for an album project, but there were too many songs, so this one wasn't able to go on. So this whole collection of stuff, so I put that out and always planned to do the next one and just never got around to it. Years were going by, and I put out other ones, a live CD and another... And then I decided during COVID this was the perfect time because I didn't have to record much, although I did end up recording four new songs, but I'm now doing that on my own. I have a studio in my basement and I found a way to actually record without having to get together with the guys. So I added, you know, four new things, four new vocals. But in general, it was just all the stuff that had been recorded over the course of 20 years. So it's volume two and it was the perfect thing to put out. And it's all great stuff because it's, like Retro Volume 1, it's all Frank Wildhorn melodies for the most part. Um, retro 1 was mostly all his, I think, and, and this one is mostly all his, except for there are a few three cover songs, and there's one song that, I sh- that the fourth song is one that, that I did new, is one that Jake, my son, wrote, because I wanted to put another one of his, because I put one of his on my last album before that, the If You See Me album. Um, he's a great writer, and I just wanted to put another one, so yeah, so that that's the project, it's called Retro Volume 2, and it's been great because that's sort of what my life's been during COVID. Since so I can't perform live. I've been recording in my basement. I call it my COVID croonings. I record and I make a video. and I put it on my YouTube channel. Or, or I put out the CD. And then I also have my online store, which I've been now uh, building up. And finally have a real store where you have a basket. And you can put, mix and match and do whatever you want. And it's fun, too. It's actually fun to have a store. I think I would like that because... Having this online store where I can add pro- – so now I'm making um, artistic things that I'm putting on. I'm an artist, as I said. So, so you I- have
0: what, L- Linda Etter action figures and Linda Etter vacuum cleaners? <laughs> I
1: might. I might one day.
0: <laughs> Linda toaster Etter up. weed don't whackers? They always
1: do a, don't they always do a toaster oven? To <laughs> mm-hmm. Linda so Etter
0: I- vegematics? <laughs> yeah.
1: No, but I have drawings that I've done um, up there so far. I've got three of those.
0: You just so have, where is your store how do people find it how do people find your albums if they want to buy them
1: yeah because that's the thing my all the albums that i do i don't make them available for download and it does piss some people off they say well i don't have anything to download well you buy a little down you know little <laughs> dvd or, or cd thing you plug it right in your computer but it doesn't deter. And a lot of my fans, I mean, let's face it, a lot of my fans are my generation. I'm just turned 60. So some of us, we still like CDs and all that. And I like having the physical product anyway when I go to do a live show. So I so to this point, I have not done anything for download. So you can only find it on my website where you can go to the store link or you can go directly to the store link. So it's either lyndaetter.com or you can go to lyndaedderstore.com and you'll see all the five CDs plus my little art projects. Plus I have um a dvd that i put on there that's something i spent like three years filming just i stuck a camera up on my windshield one day when i was driving to the store and i started talking to it and i did some filming because i wanted to play around with video editing i'd never tried that and i thought oh, it's kind of fun so i started putting some clips together and i thought well why didn't i just keep doing this i spent three years doing that and a zillion hours of editing because that's what takes so much time as i'm sure you know and i put out a three-hour dvd and i have that which is either it's gonna bore the hell out of you or you're gonna be so fascinated by it. Because if you're like me and you're into a certain performer, I like to see their behind scenes life. I really like to see that. And they never give you enough of that. So here you get a lot of the behind scenes of my life. So those are the things on my store right now. And I'm gonna be constantly adding to it. And it's just, it's fun. Scuba
0: equipment, Linda Etter's scuba equipment.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. The manual on how to be a minor celebrity.
0: Well, Linda, this has been great. Thank you. Uh, I have to say, my bucket list is to someday do a duet with you and not humiliate myself. So.
1: Okay. Well, you said you the voice teacher, you know. So you sing. Did you take voice lessons?
0: I did for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, you can always sign up for. I'll give you a voice lesson for free. How's that?
0: Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I'd love that. I'd love that. All right. Just as long as my wife isn't, you know, in the other room laughing at me. Okay, (laughs) sounds good. Thank you so much. This has been great.
1: You're welcome.
0: And that'll do it for this week of Hollywood and Levine. Our thanks to Linda Etter. Also, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, Bruce and Jason Miller. You can follow me on Twitter, at Ken Levine. I'm also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. If you want to get in touch with me for any reason, just email me at, HollywoodLevine at outlook.com. That's HollywoodLevine at outlook.com. Please subscribe if you haven't already, and stay safe. See you next week.
1: Hollywood and the Vine.